Greetings. Welcome to In Conversation with Trevor, brought to you by Heart and Soul Broadcasting Services. I go beyond the headlines and beyond the sensational. Today I'm in conversation with pediatric orthopedic surgeon, Dr. Tongai Chitsamatanga, a consultant with Cure Zimbabwe. Enjoy this truly informative conversation. Dr. Tongai Chitsamatanga, welcome to In Conversation with Trevor. Uh, thank you, Trevor, for having me. Dr. Chitsamatanga, I, I get the sense that uh, you have found your passion in life. You have found your mission in life. You, you, you love children and you love helping children. Um, talk to us about how you found that passion and how you found that mission of yours. Uh, thank you so much, Trevor. Um, it has been a very long road. Um, I could even say that um, the passion started with just the love for, for medicine. As way back as um, when I was seven, I remember an uncle of mine asking me, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I think as most children my age at that time, they would say, I want to be a doctor. And then he said, in, in a laughing way, that uh, most children change because it's hard to become a doctor. Uh, and I told him, I'm not most children <laughs> and I'm going to become a doctor. And for some reason, um, I used to know that by the age of 19, that's when I get into medical school. Uh, by the age of 24, that's when I graduate. Um, and um, I just thank God that's how it happened. Um, and then we did uh, the, the internship uh, after medical school at Parinatal Hospital uh, between uh, 2004 and 2006, and then later on went to, to a mission hospital. Wait, wait, let me just stop you there. Yes. I mean, you, you're at that young age, you already know what you want to do. Most of us, I think, uh, don't even know what we want to do uh, uh, at late in life. Where do you think that inspiration came from, that I want to be a doctor, particularly given the fact that uh, uh, we'll talk about your background, background and upbringing? Where do you think that passion came from? I think it was a combination uh, of things. Um, I think um, one of the motivational uh, people was actually our family doctor. So we used to quite uh, go there quite often and... I remember getting into his uh, surgery and then you sit sitting on the other side of the of the table and then just looking at him and saying so what does it take to to be to be a doctor um and one funny thing i noticed uh with that particular doctor was he was quite hairy around <laughs> around the the back of his hands and to myself i said okay i think for me to become a doctor, I need to grow such hairs. <laughs> yeah, but I think so. He clearly made an impression. He did on make you. an impression, yes. Yeah. And all the time you went there, I mean, you'd come out feeling much better. Mm. Yes. And and you you work for an organization which, until we met, uh, you were reminding me we met uh, 
at the Bulawayo Airport. Yes. Um, I think sometime last year. I didn't know that this organization existed. It's called uh, Cure Zimbabwe and Cure International. Talk to us about what Cure does. You, you do such amazing work, uh, and yet very few people are aware of the work that you do. Talk to us in the first instance, what is Cure International, and then uh, what it does and what is Cure Zimbabwe? So Cure International uh, is an organization that... Uh, is hospitals in about eight different uh, countries, mostly in Africa. And the main focus is to um, assist the disadvantaged uh, child, uh, especially on the orthopedic side. But we also have um, uh, children that have, for example, cleft lip. Uh, and then um, in one of the centers, they also assist children with uh, spinal issues and also some uh, with brain issues. So it is just aimed at uh, assisting the disadvantaged uh, child. And um, in most of the cases, it's a child who society would shun because of their disability. Um, and then Cure Zimbabwe uh, started last year, so we're a year old. And our main focus at the moment is pediatric orthopedics. So uh, conditions such as club feet, mm -hmm. uh, conditions uh, such as osteogenesis imperfecta, where the bones are brittle and they break. Uh, and then uh, we also have children that come in with bone infections. So sometimes you get uh, children that are walking around with bones sticking out and and um, uh, some uh, cases like that. And from next year, we'll be having a plastic surgeon who will be assisting us with the cleft lip mm -hmm. and then also some children with bone contractures. Mm -hmm. And all this is done uh, for free. So the children do not pay anything in terms of uh, consultation for the surgeries that they need to, uh, to be done and anything else that is associated with uh, with their treatment. So this has brought a lot of relief to the parents mm. and also the children mm. and the society. Well, why the decision to locate in Bulawayo? Um, uh, help us understand that. Um, I think it was uh, after looking around, um, uh, the government then offered uh, the current location. Uh, this used to be a uh, TB sanatorium and then later on became uh, hostels for nurses and doctors. And uh, it then got bent down sometime in, I think in some, somewhere in the 2000s. And uh, so when the organization which, which started the, the, uh, the hospital called the Zimbabwe Orthopedic Trust, mm -hmm. I went around and then did the memorandum of agreement with the, with the government. Uh, they were then shown this place and they fell in love with it. Mm -hmm. Um, and where exactly is it? Where, where are you located? So we are located um, along the 12th Avenue extension behind the United Blair Hospital. Okay. Yeah. And, and club foot, describe what club foot is. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a, a condition I was not, I'm not familiar with. I actually had to Google around to find. Describe yes. what club foot is. So club foot, it's a condition where um, uh, the feet are turned inwards. And um, uh, the, the child, for example, when say they get to walking age, they are not going to be able to walk on the sole of their feet. Mm. So they end up walking on the sides of their feet and that's quite painful. And later on, they might develop problems uh, around, around that foot. Mm. In most of the cases, we don't know what, uh, what causes it. Uh, but uh, in, in maybe less than 3% of the cases, it's associated with some conditions such as uh, what's called spina bifida, mm -hmm. which is uh, 
problem with the with the spine. Um, yeah, so most of the cases we don't know uh, what causes it. Mm -hmm. But what we know is uh, the children that have club foot, which has not been treated, uh, they face a lot of stigmatization in society. Some of them end up not going to school. Uh, some of them just get locked up in the house because maybe the family is embarrassed mm. for them to be seen. Same with cleft uh, lips, isn't it? Yes, definitely. Um, they, there's, there's a lot of stigmatization and uh, uh, the palate's uh, condition yes. too. Yes. Um, are you seeing lots of these people coming to you? Are they aware that the service is available and it's available for free? Uh, so in terms of cleft palate and uh, cleft lip, we haven't yet started to, to offer the service. I see. Okay. Um, but from next year, we are going to be offering it. And so definitely uh, let the people know when mm -hmm. we start that service. But club food, we are seeing quite a lot. Okay. Uh, quite a lot of club food. Uh, some who come in without maybe having been treated. And then you have others that come in after having been treated, but then they recur. Mm. Yeah, because there are processes to the treatment that one has to adhere to, and it needs a lot of commitment. Mm. Five, six years wow. of serial castings, putting plasters, trying to correct the deformity, and then uh, wearing, uh, initially, if the, the child is young, they wear what are called abduction braces. Mm -hmm. so these are shoes with a bar in between or they might also wear what's called ankle foot orthosis, just to maintain um, the reduction that would have achieved mm. from the serial casting. Mm. And um, what, what condition are you finding you're dealing with most? Is it club foot, is it bends? Uh, what is it that you're dealing with most? It's mostly club foot. Wow. Um, then I think second to, to club foot, we are seeing um, patients with the osteogenesis imperfecta, mm -hmm. um, what you could call uh, brittle bone disease, so the history normally is that of a child who comes in with uh, multiple fractures as they grow. Mm -hmm. So they can even start a delivery uh, if the delivery is uh, uh, be complicated mm -hmm. as they deliver the child, the child can break. Mm -hmm. And uh, normally that's when maybe the parents notice that uh, this child is a problem. And then uh, we then see them at different ages. Um, so what happens is because the bone is not very strong and as the child starts to put weight, the bones bend mm. and then they get to a point where they can no longer bend and then they break. Mm. Yeah, and then that child, if they're walking, then they go back in terms of their milestones, so they regress mm. and it affects quite a lot of things. If they are going to school, then they no longer can go to school. If they are older, uh, the parents cannot carry this child because the child is heavy. And in some cases, the child will be in pain, especially soon after, after the break. Mm. So for um, f parents and viewers watching us um, uh, out there, what, what do you say to them in terms of uh, how to deal with these conditions and how to find you? So um, to the parents, I think uh, what I'd say is now we have a place where we can assist the children. And, you know, it's things that we can take for granted. But, you know, when you look at um, some of the surgeries these children have or ought to have, um, they can cost as much as 3,000 US. And uh, not most families can afford uh, such surgeries. So with this coming into place of uh, Cure Zimbabwe, it has taken away that element of uh, the cost. Mm. Yeah, so what just needs to happen is 
I guess for us to to go out there and uh, get people to know that they can be assisted. Um, they can also go um, even on, on, on the internet and Facebook where they and um, call the numbers, book for the patients or their children mm. and also maybe even go through uh, their general practitioners and make appointments. Mm. Uh, and then we get to see them. Normally we have clinics on Monday and Tuesday and then we uh, schedule operations. If, and it's all for free? It's all for free. No, 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 cost, no cost at all. No cost to the patient. Wow. How are you funded? How are you able to carry these costs? So uh, the funding is mostly from individual donors. Mm. Um, so we have even some Zimbabweans in the diaspora, um, say just contributing five pounds a month consistently. And then we've also some other uh, major donors, individual donors in most cases, and uh, normally what people do is they fund a surgery. And um, once you fund the surgery, it depends you know, on, on the type of surgery. And um, people just get, we are able to do more sometimes with, with money that's meant for, uh, for one surgery. Mm. Um, and I think the other thing is, with, with, this is a, a public-private partnership between the government of uh, Zimbabwe and the Zimbabwe Orthopedic Trust. So the Zimbabwean government, the taxpayer, contributes to? They, they don't contribute per se, okay. um, but the bill, the, 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 the area where I the hospital see. was built was yeah. free of charge yes, from yes, the government. Yes. So again, I think that also takes away a lot of the cost mm. uh, to, uh, to the patients. Yeah, so it's just mostly uh, individual donors and but it's been been quite supported. Mm. Um, so you say the, the, the so there's this hospital in Zimbabwe. Yes. Where else do you have these hospitals? So there's a hospital uh, such as this in Malawi. Mm -hmm. uh, there's another one in uh, Zambia. So Malawi, Zambia, and ourselves do most. I think the more or less the same thing: pediatric okay. orthopedics, and then Kenya does pediatric orthopedics and uh, the spine surgeries. Mm. Then we have one in Uganda, which then does neurosurgery. And then we have one in the Philippines and in Niger. And you, you're, all con you're all connected. We're all connected. Networked, yeah. we, we are all connected. Yeah. And uh, how, in the, how, is, how large is the Zimbabwean operation, for instance? How, how many patients are you able to see? What's your staff complement like? Okay. Uh, so on a weekly basis, in terms of the clinic, uh, because I said it does, we do clinics Monday and Tuesdays, we can see... I think up to about 60 patients wow. in those two days. Mm -hmm. And then Wednesday, Thursday, uh, and Friday are op operating days. And so we might, for those three days, operate up to about 20 patients. Wow. Um, we don't operate or do clinics over the weekends, but we just come in and see those patients that, uh, uh, that we've operated on. And currently we got funding from uh, Tim Tebow Foundation to build a forty-bedded um, ward for the ch you know, for the children, mm. so that's ongoing. Mm. So that means that's going to increase our capacity. Mm. And next year, when we get uh, the plastic surgeon who does a cleft lips, mm. then it means we are going to increase increase that. And again, that service is going to be free. Mm. free to and the on children. your staff, how big is your staff establishment? So we have um, uh, two uh, pediatric orthopedic surgeons. Mm -hmm. uh, we have uh, one. Part time, who, who is an adult orthopedic surgeon, 
Um, he comes Mondays and then joins us on Wednesdays for, mm. for theater. And then nurses, I think the staff complement is maybe up to about uh, 20 nurses okay. in the different uh, departments and then also other supportive staff. So you do take adults too? We don't take adults, don't, okay, it's just right. uh, children. Okay. You are also at a teaching hospital. Talk to us about how that is organized. So we, we get uh, trainees, uh, orthopedic trainees, uh, that come in to uh, be taught on things, pediatric orthopedics. Um, normally they come in for maybe three to six months uh, attachment. And we also get uh, post-basic nurses that are doing uh, nursing orthopedics. And they come in for about four weeks uh, at a time. And most of them will be training at the United Bloy Hospital and then come in uh, on attachment. And then we uh, also have a program where um, on Zoom we, we get uh, teachings to uh, the different people around, the pediatricians, uh, our orthopedic colleagues, orthopedic trainees, uh, where we just discuss things, uh, pediatric orthopedics, and then just to make sure that we improve you know, the quality of care and uh, also improve um, the multidisciplinary approach uh, to the patient. Mm -hmm. if, if there's members of the public that are watching you, as they surely would be, um, how, how, how can corporates help? How can individuals help to, uh, to aid this, this uh, very important uh, uh, cause that you, you, you're working on? Uh, they, there's, there's a lot uh, uh, of ways in which, uh, in which they can help. Um, but what, what I'd recommend is uh, just to get in touch uh, with us as a hospital. There are so many needs that we have. And uh, I think our aim, our big aim, is to, to have our local businesses and local people support us more um, so that this becomes uh, self-sustaining. Um, so, yeah, I would encourage them to just get in touch with the hospital administration mm. and um, find out what the needs are. What, what, what are the needs? I mean, you have the opportunity right now yes. to talk directly to uh, the corporates and individuals. What are those yeah. needs? So the needs are usually associated with the surgeries. Mm -hmm. So uh, in terms of the things that we need to use uh, for surgery. So normally our approach is that uh, we say um, if individuals or corporates can fund a surgery. Okay. Yeah. So, for example, we could say funding a full surgery is maybe a thousand US, and if they contribute to that, then we, we are able to uh, get some of the things that are needed, and we are able to do, um, you know, some of the, the things that need to be done mm -hmm. for for the patients. So it's just, I think, mostly um, a monetary contribution, and mm -hmm. then we, according to our budgets, because we have yearly budgets, and then we look for funding and then cover. Uh, those budgets. So in terms of equipment, um, you've got the equipment? So equipment um, is Cure International. They have a central procurement. Okay. So they've standardized all the equipment across the network. I see. So that it's uh, easier to maintain. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, if we've got, say, funding and say we want uh, 
uh, an operating table. There's a specific one that would then go for, and um, which is the same across the network. Yeah, so I think that's uh, normally the approach that they've now uh, mm-hmm. gotten into. And is the approach that you'll have one um, one center per, per territory? Um, and you are in Bulawayo right now. Any chances of expanding or the Bulawayo um, center is enough for, 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 for the country as far as your, your, your goals are concerned? I think so far in terms of uh, the current setup, uh, we're going to be probably just working around mm. the Bulawayo center. One of the ways in which we then try to reach out more people is to go on uh, outreach. So in April um, uh, this year, we were in Harare. Uh, we were at uh, Parinyatwa Hospital and also at um, uh, Salimukabe Hospital. And uh, over the course of three days, we saw about 150 uh, patients. And then uh, some of them, we then uh, booked for them to come to Bulawayo mm. for, for surgeries. And I think that helped because um, it also allowed, you know, the people to, to be seen around their, their areas. Uh, but then for, I think for the safety then of the patient, we, in, in order to, 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 to get uh, good quality, we then bring them to Ulawayo for, for the surgeries. Mm. The, one of your, the places that shaped you quite a lot is you, you, after training, you spent time 2006 to 2012 at Mtambara Mission Hospital. Um, that's where you discovered your, your passion for, for, for mission work. Talk to us about that part of your life and how it shaped you. So Mtambara Mission Hospital was at a time when I was very young, 26. And um, just prior to, to going to Mtambara Mission, um, the government started enforcing um, a policy to say, if you want to be registered with what's called an open practice certificate, you had to go to the district. And you know, when you're young, you, you don't understand these things. Uh, we didn't understand it when the then permanent secretary, Dr. Mabiza, was saying, look, this, in the district, that's where the need is. You know, and when I, we, we, I, I remember. I, I think you didn't understand us. it is actually an, an yes. understatement because yeah. you were, people went on strike. Yeah, we went on strike yeah. and we said, You were no. fighting. <laughs> <laughs> How can we go to the district? They yeah. don't want us to stay in Harare. We need to make money. Um, but I got to a point, I think, when I realized that, look, for me to move forward, I, let me just go. Yeah. And the initial plan was to go for a year, which became six years. Mm-hmm. Yes, indeed, when we got there, we realized the need. They hadn't had a doctor for about uh, three years prior to myself and, and, and my wife going there. And... I remember they used to send the ambulance to Mtara, which is 80 kilometers away, three to four times a day. And around that time, you all know, I mean, the fuel, there was mm. a fuel crisis around that time. And so it was very difficult uh, for the hospital to, to manage. Uh, and so when we got there, um, they started offering maternity services. And at that time, again, uh, as a country, we were, I think, at the risk of losing funding from the Global Fund. Because what the Global Fund does is it says you set your targets. Mm. So if you set your targets and you say we're going to treat 15 people in one year and then you treat five, it means that you are, you are not faithful, yeah. if you could put it that way. Yeah. So they will not give you funding for other uh, um, 
programs that come after that. Mm. So we ended up doing uh, an outreach program and uh, what we call an accelerated uh, program. We went out as far as Nyanga. Mm. I remember this other day we were sleeping on 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 floor beds in 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 one of the clinics in Nyanga, and you know examining patients and studying them on antiretroviral drugs. And then this other time we went to a, a mission hospital called Rositu. Mm-hmm. It's in Chimani Mani. And uh, as we were coming from an outreach, it was around five, six, we met um, a lady who was in a wheelbarrow mm. and they stopped us. They stopped our vehicle and uh, said, look, we couldn't make it to receive to please, please, can you help our relative? And uh, I remember talking to, to my staff and saying, guys, what do we do? Do we just let this mm. uh, lady um, uh, pass or we do something? So we agreed, look, we'll examine them, see how best uh, we can assist. We counseled them. Then uh, we studied them on, on, on the medication. And then three months later, we went back for outreach. And a lady uh, approached me and said, do you remember me, Chiremba? I'm like, I'm so sorry. It's, it always happens to us. You are expected to remember so many people that you see. And I said, no, I'm so sorry, I do not remember you. And then she said, I am that woman uh, who was in the wheelbarrow whom you saved after my relatives had given up. I think it was at that point, of course, with other things that had been happening, that I realized that uh, I think my mission was beyond mm. beyond just myself. Mm. you know. And you realize, I think, as those things are happening, that could it, could this be the reason why I went to the district mm. and I think to me the answer was was yes that was the reason. And then Mtabara mission in itself um, provided a family environment. I think it also helped that uh, it was at that place where we got married with my wife and then we started raising our family. It was a close-knit family and everyone was always supportive of, of the other. So even as we then went back to specialize in, in Arare, already we had the foundation. Mm. And so from Mtambara, it, you, you talk to me about your education, um, both before and after, after Mtambara, your specialization journey. Yeah. So uh, the specialization, I began it after, after the stint at the district at Mtambara Mission Hospital. And... Um, I remember when uh, going through the phases that any doctor goes through in terms of trying to choose which specialty one can do. I remember at one time I wanted to be an obs and gynae because I think we used to do quite a lot of uh, cesarean sections. Your your wife is a gynecologist. My wife is a gynecologist. So I think she beat me to it. <laughs> and then um, at some point I wanted to be a physician, I think because of the experience with the um, mm. antiretroviral drugs. And then I nearly became a public health specialist because just prior to going back to school, um, I got nominated to go for a trip uh, in the United States where they wanted to, um, there was an organization which just wanted to to assist in the uh, quality assurance in the HIV program. And the aim was that when we come back from there and we would uh, pursue that and to work with the ministry. But then when I came back, uh, one of the things that made me go into orthopedics was um, 
there were quite a number of accidents that would happen in, in the area because of the nature of the landscape. Yeah. And um, I saw that I was not equipped enough to, to attend to them. So it was an area of need. Mm. Um, so that's, I think that then um, helped in making the decision. Mm. Uh, you, you, you went to Oxford University uh, to, to um, do trauma and limb construction. And then you went to Deb University to do pediatric uh, uh, orthopedics for both for, for, for one year, one, one age. Yes. That must have shaped you in, in, a, in a big way in terms of your, your, your career path. It did. Um, prior to that, I had gone to Malawi to, to cure Malawi. And I think that's where I then fell in love with pediatric orthopedics. Um, and one of the things that I've learned in life is there's a statement which says you have to be in the lotto to win it. Mm. So I've said to myself, I am going to apply for opportunities. And the worst someone can say is no. Yeah. And you can never know that they'll say no if you haven't applied. Mm. So it's an opportunity that arose. Um, there's a, we trained with what's called the College of Surgeons of East, Central and Southern Africa. So they have a, an agreement or a partnership with the Royal College of Surgeons of England where they support surgeons that have finished their training uh, in, in country. And then they say, okay, what are the areas where you want help in? Mm. You know? And then you get an opportunity to then go um, and then you uh, subspecialize in that area just to improve your capacity. So it was good in that um, you go into a system where the public health system works and um, all you have to do is then focus on your work and make sure that whatever decisions that you're making are not related to the funds. Right. Yeah. yeah. You you are not affected by whether patient infrastructure, financial issues, yes. and so forth. Yeah. Yeah. So it taught me that uh, element of decision making without the other issues uh, issues that can maybe affect one's decision. Mm. Yeah. So it was a very good time, um, and uh, also the other thing is networking. So I then establish relationships where I can just call a professor at Oxford and say, what do I do for this particular patient? Mm. Or what do I do uh, with uh, this particular condition? And it just improves mm. the care of... Mm. of the, the, the call to go to QR Malawi, because that is what opened the door for you to be where you are right now. Um, talk to me about how that call happened. So in 2013, um, the year I started my specialization in general orthopedics, uh, there was a course at uh, Kiwa Malawi, a pediatric orthopedic course over a, a one-week period. So um, I then applied to go for, for that. And um, I think that's where now I was in this place where the patients were the same as what we were seeing at home, but the standards were were quite high and you could see the change in in the children once once they are treated and um, i mean you're coming from perhaps a helpless place where yes you do see those children but then you are unable to do anything about it and you don't know that actually things can be done to improve their quality of mm -hmm. uh, of, uh, of life so i think that was it that was uh, the the um, what ignited the the, the interest for you, yeah. And then um, in 2016, I then applied uh, to, to go and do a year. There was funding for that. 
Um, and it, it was wonderful because mm. they let me do quite a lot of procedures. They, so this yeah. is Cure that funded your training? So it was Cure. Wow. Yes. And it, I mean, would there be opportunities for young people interested to do the kind of stuff that you're doing as far as Cure funding is concerned? Uh, there, there is. I mean, there is uh, way more funding than just Cure. Mm. Um, because if you look at even the, the initial training as a doctor, uh, there are a lot of people that if you just reach out, they, they will assist you. And then in the orthopedic training, there are other organizations within that also then, then assist. And uh, QI and its partners then come in when, for example, it's pediatric orthopedics or uh, plastic surgery. For example, we uh, once our plastic surgeon is in place, we'll have funding for a trainee who wants to do plastic surgery. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for that duration, it's usually about five years. Um, yeah, so with opportunity, you have to, to identify it. You have to apply. I don't think opportunity is going to come and knock at your door. You go and you mm. knock at the, mm. the door for opportunity. Mm. You, you, you didn't have an easy life starting off. You, were, you lost your father. Rather, your, your parents were divorced when you were nine months old, eh? And uh, your dad took uh, custody over of uh, how many of you? Four, five of you? Yeah, four, 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 four of you. Yeah. And and talk to us about that very tough upbringing. You have you've you you experienced five stepmothers. Um, talk to us about that. I mean, you're forty two years old. You've done amazing things. You you are a very successful doctor, passionate about what you're doing. But for people that are out there to say. Your background is simply your background. It doesn't have to determine who you become. And, and here you are sitting here as a pediatric orthopedic surgeon who's been very successful. Talk to us about that upbringing. Um, I think for in, in terms of that upbringing, because maybe I was young, it probably didn't quite affect me to, to I'm sure the levels that maybe it might have affected my older siblings. But um, the one thing that I thank my father for was he was very big on education. Mm. Yeah. So he would always tell us that um, you have to apply yourself. You have to work hard. There's never going to be an examination which is set aside for children whose parents are divorced or maybe those that uh, have the parents together or maybe orphans. The exam is the same. And so I think from a young age, those are the things that he used to, to emphasize. And um, he also protected us, I think, from knowing why they divorced. Because, you know, when you're young, sometimes you then try and take sides. And um, we did communicate with, them, with our mother. And um, my mom passed away in 2005. We had a very good relationship. Mm -hmm. uh, my father passed away this year in April. But I think the most important thing was the fact that he emphasized education. But not to say we didn't have any challenges, because I remember quite often we would be sent home because our fees wasn't fully paid. And one of the reasons that I then understood when I then grew up is he used to also take care of quite a number of his relatives. So it ended up having your resources spread over a, a number of people. And um, I think when you grow up and then you understand it, you then realize that, you know, it's actually something that becomes, becomes a strength. 
Um, and with hard work, I think you you get to, to wherever you want. I was never that kind of um, uh, student who, I was never top student. But one thing that I knew about myself was I uh, was consistent mm. in whatever that I did. I have quite a number of my primary school uh, schoolmates who don't believe I'm a doctor. <laughs> uh, who who one, never believed who'd, you'd be a doctor? Yeah, I mean, even my, my elder sister still just laughs to say we didn't know you'd become, become a doctor. But of course, you'd be like, I, I was telling you guys I would become one. Yeah, so I think just the hard work and the support from, from, from my parents, even though they were separated, I think they did emphasize or say work, work hard. And um, also, I think just getting to a point in your life uh, where you have to, to make decisions. So I used to play tennis. I wasn't the best. Um, but I decided, I remember in Form 3, saying to myself, say if I continue on the tennis route, is it something that probably will get me somewhere? So I had to be very realistic with myself. I still do play tennis now yeah. socially. It's a good social sport. But I think at that age, I realized that I wasn't going to maybe achieve as much mm. as you know, some of the people I used to play with. So I then said, look, I'm going to focus on, uh, on the academics. And yeah, I think it, is, it has paid off. But it's all about the hard work. And I think, like you said, the background uh, is there maybe as part of your build-up, mm. but it's not meant to, to slow you down. It's not meant to be an excuse. A lot of people love the excuse. A lot of people will say, ah, oh, Zimbabwe is so hard. But then you find within the hard circumstances, you still find one or two people that make it. Mm. And it's not everyone who makes it through shrewd ways. It's people that also work. Imagine getting free access to the Newsday, the Standard, the Zimbabwe Independent, and the Weekly Digest for a full month. Well, you can, and all you need to do is download the Newsday e-reader app on Google Play Store or scan the Newsday QR code in any of the AMH print publications and start enjoying the quality content. So, Doctor, it's clear that you've worked hard and that working hard has paid dividends. You've been able to spot uh, opportunities and you've been disciplined. But there's going to be young people. You are, you are a born free. Hey? You are 42 years old. Yes. There's going to be a lot of young people that are watching us right now. We're going to say, but doctor, we work hard. We don't see the opportunities. We are disciplined. Um, hard work on its own in this environment is not going to pay dividends. What, what do you say to them? Um, I would say, I mean, this might sound to be maybe inconsiderate, but I would say work harder. And then in working harder, you also need to work smarter. In terms of opportunities, um, I think opportunities, one creates opportunities. Um, you need to start from what I call low-hanging fruit. And then I guess be able to really define what you want to achieve um, with your life. 
I think the biggest challenge that I see, uh, especially amongst um, us the young, is sometimes we compare ourselves with other people whose journeys we are, we are not aware of. And then we want to have it now, there and then. But um, I think that's, that's never something that's wise, um, wise to do. And we, with the hard work, I think um, it should become a culture, it should become part of you to a point where it's not painful, mm -hmm. right? And like I was saying earlier on that if you, with opportunity, you need to go and knock. But then do not think that when you knock on a door, you are going to get, you know, the things that you want behind that door. There are some doors where you open and you discover perhaps the things that you really want are not there. So sometimes you need to close it, go and knock at another door. Um, but I, I still feel that hard work still is a big part of the recipe. Mm. Yeah. What, what you, you have been part of creating this institution in Bulawayo, Cure, uh, which is doing amazing work. But it sits within an environment where institutions, medical institutions are dilapidated. I mean, the um, uh, Bulawayo um, hospital organization, which is next to you, if you get in there, it's heartbreaking. Um, nurses, complaining they're not paid well, doctors complaining they're not paid well, but much more importantly also, perhaps not much, much more importantly, we're losing doctors and nurses to um, the US, to, not to the US, but to the UK, Australia, and, and New Zealand. What's your take of the working conditions of uh, nurses and doctors, and generally the medical staff in this country? Um, I think it's a combination of just how the, the economy is, and I, I think it's not just nurses and doctors that, um, that are affected. Um, but I think also one thing that we need to consider is even within um, those hardships, you have quite a number, a lot of nurses and doctors who are really working hard mm. and uh, providing the necessary care with the uh, resources that are, that are available to them. Um, I always try and you know, look into how best we can, uh, you know, assist each other. And uh, one of the things that I normally encourage, um, you know, especially people that have gone to the diaspora is, it is not good enough to just go and ignore and say, okay, I've left those hardships and uh, one continues their life as if uh, everything is normal. We need to, to also then be able to, to realize that in most of the cases, our relatives are here. Mm. And how do we support the people that are on the ground? It's not everyone that's going to leave. And people have different reasons, you know, to leave. Others have different reasons to stay. stay. Yeah. And um, yes, we have got an issue with the resources, but I still just feel that at individual level, as the patient comes, we have to maintain our professionalism. We have to be able to then say, with what we have, how best can we assist? assist the patient. I think what I've also realized in most of the institutions is um, I think society in itself is also maybe helping in. Um, things are hard, but you, you find if, for example, you go and the medication is not there, uh, people end up having to, to go and buy that particular medication. Not everyone can afford, but um, and the thing is, at the end of the day,
we have to work with um, we, with what we have. But so, the, 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 you, you raise an important point there, which I thought I should go back to, which, which is, I, I wish we all pitched in every day and gave our best with what we have. Yeah. But that, that is not what happens in terms of the service that the public is getting from doctors, the service that pub, public is getting from hospitals and, and, and from, from nurses. That is, that's a big problem, isn't it? No, it is. Um, I think what, what we'll need to, to just do, maybe as a profession or even as, as people generally, as Zimbabweans, is to be able to, to still maintain that human element in whatever that we do, be it if you're a banker, be it if you're... Mm. We have to maintain a certain level of maybe professionalism. It, it, that, but that human element is gone, doctor. It's gone. And yes. I want to admit that it's not just the medical profession alone. It's all across the board. We've lost that human element, haven't we? Yeah, it's very, very true. And it's... Uh, I always say it's, it's very easy, you know, to, to lay blame. I could lay blame on you. Absolutely. And say, Trevor, you did this, you did that. And it's very, I think it's very easy to even lay blame on the government. I'm saying the government did this, did that. But then there are still certain things, I believe, that go beyond all those institutions. Why should your character be changed you know, by what the government is doing? Why should your character be changed by what Trevor is doing? Why should you not be maybe the beacon of hope for the person that comes in? Because... You know, sometimes what, especially in our field, what the patients require, worse off, I mean, we deal with, with, with families. A child comes in with three, four caregivers, you know, and sometimes all they want is to be listened to, mm -hmm. right? Sit there, you listen. What are your problems? How can we assist? Because I think in pediatric orthopedics, there are so many cases where we end up not operating. So it's not every case at all that is uh, operated on. But I think it's when you then get to sit with the caregivers and the child to explain to them why maybe you are getting to that decision and then letting them also be part of, uh, mm. part of the decision. I think people will push back, people watching will push back and say, yeah, circumstances do change people. Uh, but I, I hear you, that's not justification for not being human for being loving, um, but we've been changed by the circumstances in this country. True. Let, let's go back to um, your uh, formative years in your education. Which schools did you go to? Um, so for uh, primary education, I was at Riverside Primary School in Gweru. Mm -hmm. uh, we used to stay two minutes away. And then uh, did Form 1 and 2 at Thornhill High School. Then went to Milton High School from Form 3 to Form 6. Uh, which is in Olawaya. Um, yeah, I mean, if I look at even just the the different schools, one of the the, the key issues I like I said I've always been hardworking, but um, rather unfortunate in all the classes that I've been, I'm put in with people that are quite brilliant. So, but that just helped me to push my mm. standards up, mm. um, and um, I always remember. And my dad used to always remind me of um, our motto at Milton High School, which says, quit ye like men. Uh, I'm sure now it's quit ye like people, because we <laughs> of gender balance. Yes. Yeah, but we, 
I mean, that in itself, I think just helped. Mm. You realize these things when you grow up to say, okay, this is where the foundation was laid. Mm. Well, what, what's your, I mean, you, 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 at 42, you already have this big responsibility. Uh, how do you, what's your sense in terms of the way you're touching people's lives uh, with the work that QI is doing? What, what changes are you seeing? Um, for me, the, the, the impact goes beyond uh, my QI days. Because prior to cure, there's a time I worked after finishing the general orthopedics. Uh, after having done the year in Malawi, I worked at Paranyatwa Hospital. And then I'd see these children that, you know, needed to be helped. I knew what I needed to do, but because of resources, I couldn't. Um, I remember quite a number of them giving, giving them my number and saying, look, I don't know how and when, but just keep my number be in touch will help your child mm. and um now quite a number of them now have come in now with uh, with uh, with cure and reminded me Chiremba, you remember we met at Parinyatwa, and you just realize the impact is mm. just just beyond you see the happy faces you you see like i remember this other child who we had a condition called chronic osteomyelitis where the bone is uh, sticking out and the bone there's a piece of dead bone there and they couldn't go to school for the past year mm. because the smell was just so much mm. yeah so we then you know took them to theater uh, cleaned everything up took the dead bone out closed the wound and then seeing them three months later walking in wound is healed mm. very happy and the 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 parent quite happy and saying, now I know my child is going to school. Mm. Um, and then the other thing is, we are a Christian-based um, organization. Really? I didn't realize that. Yes. So we have a spiritual uh, a department, and they also go like, we've known outreach, just spreading the word about ourselves, but also offer counseling services to, to the families. Mm. And... Uh, this is not to say that we treat Christians only, no, but I think it, it then offers a holistic approach to, uh, to, the, to the parents and the families. And, um, yeah, I think the impact then goes beyond you know, yeah. just a physical, spiritual. And what we've seen in terms of um, the, the spread of the message, it is the families that have been helped right. that spread uh, the message more. Um, so you get children that come in and say, I heard from my neighbor. Mm. I saw my neighbor's child walk. Mm. So uh, I know my child will walk. Mm. Yeah. Even in circumstances where you know that, okay, with this particular condition, this child won't walk. You know, you're able to break down the news. You're able to assist them. And um, a lot then walk out of that consultation room satisfied. And knowing that, if in the event that they need to ask something, we we are there for them, mm. and we are there for the kids. Fantastic! It's a, it's it's a, it's an encouraging story. It's an inspiring story, particularly for parents out there who have uh, children that have uh, these these conditions. And um, um, we wish you all the best with what you're doing. And I'm I'm sure there's lots still out to be to be to be done. <music>
talk to us about, you know, books that you've read that have changed the way you think and the way you look at the world that you'd want our viewers to to read. What books do you recommend? Um, so from from an early age, um, I used to love reading Shona books, hmm. um, and then just going into the story and trying to live it. Um, and then, of course, now there's one book that I've gone to. And now it starts to make sense. Uh, there's one by Giles Kuimba, mm. Tambaoga Mwanangu. And I think it was published in 1968. Um, and you see the dynamics, especially of the, of the African family. How sometimes you, especially in this background where perhaps you're working hard, but sometimes you work hard and people can wake up and say, no, uh, it's not hard work, it's goblins, and all those things. Yeah, so that's one book that um, you know, I've read and, you know, especially rereading it, it's just to make sense. Mm -hmm. And it's just encouraging. It's, it's uh, saying you should have confidence in yourself. Mm -hmm. You should have um, uh, direction with, your, with yourself. At the end of the day, it's your responsibility to to make things work. Mm -hmm. um, and then the second one um, is Becoming by uh, Michelle Obama. Again, it's one book that tells a story from, you know, humble beginnings. Mm. Um, I mean, I look at it, even this opportunity that you've afforded me, I remember asking myself to say, am I really worth it? When, when it dawned on me that you really wanted me to come and speak, I was like, what story do I have to tell? Um, but then, you know, when you then look back and you realize that, look, sometimes we, because we live that life, we don't really see the, the impact that we have. Um, and so if you read Becoming, you see how uh, the former first lady, Michelle Rose, but f from a very ordinary family. And if maybe someone had looked at her at that moment in time, they wouldn't have predicted that she was going to be the first lady of uh, the United States. And then the third book is um, Five Languages of Love. Mm. It's by um, Gary Chapman. So this one, I, I really encourage people, especially couples, to read it. But not just couples. There's also, I think, uh, one way also focuses on like the relationship with the children. Um, you realize that people have different ways in which love or love means means to them so for example you could be a person who for example if i am to express my love for you you expect gifts mm. then you've got other people that might be people that just want to be thanked and then you have also other people that you know just do stuff and perhaps don't as want to be thanked. As expression of love. As expression mm. of love. Mm. And and then there are other people that, uh, you know, so it's different, different ways in which um, you you can express love to the people that you, mm. but you have to understand them. Because if, say, I bring a gift and that's not your love language. They won't appreciate it. You might not appreciate yeah. it yeah. because you'll be like, yeah. yeah. But if, for example, if I am a giver, right, and maybe expect to be thanked. Then I bring a gift to someone whose love language is not of gifts. Mm. 
then it's most likely I'll be offended because this person didn't Misplaced. understand. Yeah. So even within families, within even with the kids, like I've got three boys and they are different. Um, my eldest, he wants you to be there. He wants attention. that active attention. My middle child, I think by virtue of being a middle child, is very independent. Mm. He and then uh, the youngest, I think, is a combination mm. of. Mm. of we we are all different, and um, your story for me again is a story that says uh, anything is possible, because if if one looks at your life. Um, and the way where you started off, um, like you're saying, your sisters laugh at you and say, we, di- we never thought that you're going to be a doctor. I, I sense something in you that I can't exactly touch or feel that's going to uh, continue to propel you to heights. So we wish you all the very best, doctor. And thank you so much for driving all the way from Bulawayo. Uh, to come for us to have this uh, this conversation. We wish you all the best. We wish Cure and the wonderful work that you're doing with our kids um, to continue doing that wonderful work. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Trevor, for Thank having you. me. Thank you. Allow me to turn to our viewers who are all over the world. Thank you for tuning in every Monday at 7 a.m. Central African time. Remember to subscribe. Press this red button to subscribe like, share, visit our website, Convo with Trevor. Remember, we've also gone a step further and created podcasts. Those podcasts sit um, on our website and they're all over uh, the main uh, podcast platforms for your listening pleasure. We read all your comments, your suggestions as to who should come on the show, and we thank you for that. Until next time, cheers to you all. Thank you.